Actually, the other day I said greetings and salutations to somebody, and they go, what? I said, hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> Feels like it's been forever since we have been here. Some of us has been out meeting the public. You know, we have sold fireworks at Church of Briargate for our annual fundraiser. Uh, nine, ten years, something like that, nine years? Eight years, something. Anyway, a number of years now. And I have never seen selling fireworks as that. Um, I have always seen it as an opportunity for us to engage with the public. So let me just encourage you that if you don't know and understand why we do that, um, one, in my opinion, the first and the greatest priority is it puts us out in the public to engage with them, to meet them where they're at. And if you're out and engaged at the stands, really, really appreciate you being there, your help in that. But if you thought you were just selling fireworks, I want you to put a different change in attitude on it for next year. Because I will tell you, down at Fountain, I had so many opportunities to just speak into lives. And some of it engaged with the selling of fireworks, such as a young mother coming in, and she didn't have much of a budget, but she wanted to take and make a moment for her children. And I said, it's not about the money you spend. It's about you taking time to be there in the moment with your kids. And I pointed some different things out to her, and it was, she didn't have much of a budget, maybe $50 is what she could spend, and I was able to get her something uh, that fit, and she was excited about it, and be able to be under budget at that, and she could use the money elsewhere. Another, there was a mother with five kids, I think it was, um, that was there. And we ended up talking probably half hour or so uh, as she was a uh, soldier's wife who was deployed. And she was sharing how overwhelming of family situations and how they got to the place that they are now and whatnot. And just took the time to pause and meet her at the place she was at. And it was because we had the fireworks stand that it provided the opportunity to engage. And there was time after time after time that I had that veterans who come in and they see that uh, I'm a veteran myself. Greetings and salutations. That we'll celebrate her coming in too. <laughs> but time and time again after that, veterans who just needed somebody that they could recognize and, and connect with. So what the fireworks stands, whether you agree with the way we do, do it, that we do it or not, it does give us such a great opportunity to touch the public where they're at. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. It, to me, that was just great. Of course, I'm used to being around people. People will say, are you tired yet? <laughs> Only when the people go away do I get tired. 
because there's not enough people. <laughs> I'm energized by people, but it was such, I just walked away time and time again from touching people's lives in that. That said, if you don't understand why we do that and why it's important, when we do the fireworks stands, if we were only dependent for our ministries to be able to function by our tithes and offering, it would be very limited in what we could do. Such things as kids going off to kids camp or youth camp, uh, instead of spending $300 per child, it's at least 50% of what it would cost. So a family that has several kids that would go now where they're deciding whether we can send anybody, they now can send maybe two or three of their kids instead. I'm not sitting them at all, and if any of you have been to youth camp, you know the impact that youth and kids camp has, excuse me, has in a child's life. There are so many people out there in ministry that that's where their calling began, is in those places. And to be able to afford to be able to send your kids. Men's ministry this last year, because of our funding, we were able to do the retreat for $50 a person, which allowed fathers to bring their older sons to be engaged and impacted instead of having to spend 150 or whatever it is that we've done in the past. This is huge. This is important because now we're reaching more and more people in this way, where if we were dependent on just offerings, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't be able to do it. Now we can take the offerings that we give and we can give even more, greater to missions. And I have found with churches who are giving greater to missions, they're greater blessed on it. So just some points on, on the fireworks. The other points on that, I want to celebrate the fact that uh, if you worked at Safeway or the Walmart stand, uh, Fountain did better than you, at least as when it came to cash. It was evident that the people in Fountain believe on, on buying on cash. Um, that also said, and, and we did better than them with less time too, because Fountain didn't open, was only open for 4.25 days. Yes, I did the math enough to figure that piece out. Uh, where, where the other two stands opened up uh, on Friday, Saturday. Uh, Fountain did not open up until Thursday at about 3 o'clock. And not only that, but uh, Fountain, I was in charge of Fountain, so I'm celebrating these, okay? Fountain did, was just $32,000 shy of what Safeway did in less time. So if you work out those places, look out. We will show you up. <laughs> huh? I'm just a little competitive. I, when one of the units I was in, um, or several of the units, they would hold staff PT, and they first staff PT, uh, PT is physical training, first staff PT I went to, they were playing um, ultimate football. And if you don't know what ultimate football is, you, it's kind of, you just stand around throwing the football till you get to the end zone. And you can't run with it and whatnot. And so I asked, it was ultimate football? Ultimate Frisbee, anyway, Frisbee. And so I asked, you know, what are the rules? Because I've never played this game before. And they said, the only rule is 
that you have to remain an arm's length away from the person throwing the Frisbee. I said, that's the only rule? That's the only rule. They enacted chaplain rules after that. Because too often I was assisting people in the direction they were going, which happened to be to the ground on those who were receiving the Frisbee. So... And then when I was deployed to Kuwait, uh, we were playing flag football. And when I was in high school, at 125 and 135 pounds, I played on the line. Uh, yeah, I was. And I wasn't, I wasn't third, fourth string. I was relief for first string. So I wasn't second string. I wasn't first string. But I was relief. They tossed me in there uh, just to confuse the other team, I think, more than anything. <laughs> what is this small guy? Um, anyway, playing football and flag football in Kuwait and uh, the heat of 140, 150 degrees. Why not? <laughs> and I got in the backfield and got the flag off the quarterback and threw it down all excitedly and my uh, brigade commander <laughs> yelled out, that's my chaplain. So, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I am only a slight bit competitive. <laughs> the other note to note about the uh, fireworks is preliminary numbers say that we probably doubled what we did last year. Um, last year was a record year. In fact, last year we were the highest selling stands across the nation for TNT, and this year we have doubled it. So, uh, like Didi says, we don't know what God is preparing us for. Maybe there's going to be a, a drought of stuff next year, so we're being able to do more. Um, so it's just exciting looking at the preliminary numbers. It was blowing us away that there's no way we were doing the kind of numbers we were doing. Um, and God is blessing. One of the things I did at my tent, and I encourage other tents to do it next year if they weren't doing it, is we began the day with prayer. Not that we would sell well, but that we would touch lives. And that's what makes a difference, as I was saying earlier. So, uh, as you can tell, you have me tonight. Uh, Pastor is on vacation. He is on a well-needed vacation. Uh, he has been doing a lot. He's been going places with both as our pastor and as a politician. And he needed a break. And, and so, pray for him and Linda. Uh, they are down in Texas with their son, Jonathan, and the grandbabies down there. They've tried to get Jonathan to come up here, but uh, there's complications with Jonathan's uh, church and being a pastor down there, and so it was easier for them to go there. Uh, but they'll be back Friday or Saturday, I think it is. But in the meantime, pray for them. Pray that they have that rest and they have that, and we will do that later also as a body, lift them up in prayer that they will come back rejuvenated and excited and ready to go with uh, a great, great new vision and, and word for the God for us. Uh, I tell you, I, I am honored to be on staff under uh, Scott. It's just great to have that, the type of man that he is. Another thing to be looking at is next Wednesday, there will not be a Wednesday night service here. We want to encourage you to go to Mar Mario Murillo's uh, tent crusade that is happening on the corner, essentially on the corner of Powers and uh, Research at uh, 
Radiant North Campus. If you're going down Powers just before research or just after research, you look over to the right or left and you will see a big white tent there. I was at a prayer meeting. They have been holding nightly prayer meetings Monday through Friday at Radiant North Campus, uh, praying over the crusade, praying over the land, praying over Mario, praying over the city. Just some powerful prayers being lifted up on a nightly basis over there as they, as they and we prepared for this crusade. If you don't know who Mario Murillo is, take a look, look him up. Uh, just an amazing man of God that has done some tremendous stuff um, and one that just honors God. He recently canceled his crusade that he was going into New York because the churches were not united. There was much division. There were stipulations they were trying to put on him that he couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And he's like, okay, I'm done, I'm out. If you can't come together as a body and you want to put some stipulations that hinder the Holy Spirit, then I'm not doing it. So his crusade starts Sunday night, runs through Wednesday night. So we will take and hope to see you all over there next Wednesday. Uh, if you can go several nights, take a, take a gander at it. I grew up under these things. Uh, they were great things to go to, uh, and a powerful things happen. So be looking at that, and I encourage you to take the opportunity, as we are not having services here next Wednesday, at least go to the Wednesday night there on that. All right. I do have one more thing that's heavy on my heart, and I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. If you are not engaged in volunteering for something here at the church, I really want to encourage you, get involved someplace, in something. We are needing people to be engaged and involved. A lot of times, uh, that what I have seen, see, I can get away with this because I'll go back to being the behind-the-scenes executive pastor, and you can be mad at me and not mad at Scott. But, <laughs> but we need to be engaged in ministry. You've been called to do something and not just come sit on a chair and sit in a pew, but engaged in ministry. And if you're not engaged in something, you're missing out on a tremendous blessing. It's the bottom line. And so are we who would benefit from what you bring, whether it be in a life group or whether it be with the kids, with the youth, greeting. I mean, I am all about first impressions. When people come in... I want them to feel welcomed. I want them to see a church that's welcoming. And what a tremendous way to impact because people make a decision on that. Maybe simply as, as uh, cleaning a bathroom type thing. It makes a difference in people feeling welcome. If you want to be a greeter, see Michael Rainwater? Say hi, Michael. <laughs> And be engaged there. People need that smiling face that makes a difference. Uh, security team can always use some help out there. And it's, it's unfortunate we need it, but we do in the world that we're in. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not denying God's Holy Spirit and God's power to protect us in this, but there are people who want to hurt the church and... and and bring problems, whether it be violence or just disruption. And having those people that we can rely on so that we can worship 
makes a difference. And the more people that volunteer, the less you have to do it. And the problem is, people say, well, I, I end up missing. Well, right now, there's people who do it every week in and week out, and they don't get to sit in because people aren't doing it. And it's sad, but it's true. About 20% of the, of the congregation do 80% of the work. And it should be an opposite. Scrambling to be able to take and meet the needs. And you have a calling. God's placed it on you. Find that and be a part of it. And you'll, you'll be amazed at the blessings you receive and we receive from who you are. All right. The pastor said, I had it tonight. I said, is there anything particular you wanted me to do? He says, it's all yours. And there's something that, by the prompting of pastor, that really has been stirring in my spirit and my mind for the last three, four months. Early on, when I first came on, he says, we are not doing discipleship. There's people being saved, but we are not doing discipleship. And so I've been looking at that. And I'd ask you, without looking, what does the Great Commission say? What are we supposed to be doing, according to the Great Commission? Making disciples. Making disciples. It's, it is, a lot of times people have looked at that and read that, and what they read is we're supposed to get people saved. Well, that's only a step and a process in where we're going. So Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 18 says, when Jesus came near, he spoke to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I have commanded you. A lot of times we skip over that part that says make them disciples and we go immediately to baptize them in the name of the Father, Holy, Son, and Holy Spirit saying they got saved, we've done our part, let's move on. Right? But what does it fully say there? It says make disciples to baptize them. That's the first part of salvation. And then it says in verse 20, teach them. Teach them. So when pastor said, I want to create a discipleship life group. And I was looking at wanting to do a life group anyway now that I have my full focus is not on the army and, and was looking at a life group. I was not necessarily looking at starting a discipleship life group. But just like I learned in the army, when, when the commander says, do, you move out. And so we're working through what we're going, what it's going to look like, but it's really stirred in my spirit, and it was stirred even more when I had a meeting with a gentleman not too long ago, who asked me the question, and I ask this of you: Who's discipling you, and who are you discipling? Who's discipling you, and who are you discipling? Now, immediately when he asked that question, I thought, well, I've grown up in the church. I got 30 years as a minister. 
I'm 55 years old. I could trace back to probably I was five years old when I accepted Christ. So for 50 years, why do I need to be, be discipled? And then when he asked, who are you discipling? My immediate thought, well, I'm not discipling anybody. And then I looked at a couple of people that are really engaged in my life. Um, that I am walking them through to grow, to be where they need to be, but I would not have classified as discipling necessarily. And as I have stirred this up, I've turned than just what it was before. So, rhetorical question. Who's discipling you? Sometimes that has to be a commitment that you take and ask for. You say, I want you to disciple me. I see something about you. I see that you are mature in the faith, whatever the case is. Will you be be the one that will disciple me and help me become even better? Because the reality is when we're discipling somebody, what does that cause us to do? Say again. Causes us to look at ourselves. It causes us to get into even deeper the word ourselves. Because here's the reality is if we're not in the word and digging in because just on a regular basis, but because also somebody's challenging us too. We're going to eventually become mediocre, really, in our faith. Back in 1985, I was in uh, my training for my job, my first job, technically my second job in the Army. And I shared a room with a... uh, another soldier who was from New York. And I have lived a very isolated, sheltered life at that point, really, in all reality, as I grew up in the rural, rural areas of Nevada, uh, really didn't have an interaction with anything that was not really Christian or, or weirdly uh, spiritual. And this other soldier started asking me questions concerning Scripture. And we were talking about it, and soon I learned that this individual was a Wiccan. And the way that he talked about Scripture, in some ways, concerned me because, because of myself. Here I had grown up in the church. I, was, I knew that my direction at that point at 17 uh, or 18 years old at that point, was to be a chaplain. And he almost knew more scripture than I did. And knew it almost better than I did. And that concerned me, and my my thought process is, I got to get better. I got to get deeper. When we're discipling, it causes us to get deeper. Because we got to be able to teach the person. Why do we need to be discipled? 
to keep you growing? Aiden, were you about to say something? Sometimes we call it mentorship. So my question is, do we ever get to a point that we should that we don't need to be discipled? And that's the challenge that sometimes we have is we put out the twelve step program. And take young Christians and go point to 1 to 12, and we walk away from them at that point. And I will tell you, even I still need to be discipled. I still need somebody that's mentoring, that's holding me accountable, that's guiding me, that is an individual of, of mature faith to make sure that I'm staying where I need to be. Because what, what does it mean to be discipled? What is, it, what is your definition of being a disciple? Being Say again. Being One more time. Learning, being a learner. Being a learner. Person who learns. Anyone else? Let's look at uh, the Greek word. I'm going to try to mess this up as best I can. Um, the Greek word of disciple, it's translated disciple, is Matthias. Which when you look in the New Testament, it means more than just being a mere pupil. It's more than being a student. Or a learner. It's an adherent who accepts the instruction given to him and makes it a rule of conduct. Another place, it says, it's an apparent that becoming a disciple of Jesus in general meant a transformation of a personal lifestyle. So it's not about just being a student or a learner of Scripture. 
and theology and everything that goes with that. It is about a change of lifestyle. We see through scripture it says change the way you think and act. When Jesus called the 12, they were all doing something different. And God called them, Jesus called them, and they changed their life. Some was sedentary in, in a foundation of a location, and they began following Christ around the countryside. So it's not just being a learner or a pupil, but it's taking and transforming your life. Scripture says, change the way you think and act. So it's an active participation. And that's the thing I've always liked about the Christian faith is it's just not passive. If Christianity is passive to you, then you will stay at the level you are. And likely, in staying, you will fall away. But I have known many people who are been Christians 30, 40, 50 years, and they are no further along in their faith than somebody just coming to Christ. And I have seen others who have only been a Christian for a short, short time, much further in their faith than somebody else. What makes the difference? Desire. The willing to transform and seek and be a true disciple and get into that fully. To be a disciple causes you to have to look into yourself to be able to decide where do I stand. Because I will tell you, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. Satan's greatest win is not to cause you to lose your faith, but become mediocre in your faith. Because what happens if you're mediocre in your faith? Become complacent. You become neither cold nor hot. And what does scripture say about that type of individual? Spew you out of his mouth. If we are truly being disciples, we are going to be always hot. Because we're going to be engaged, we're going to be growing, we're going to be experiencing. We're going to take and look at our, our life and say, that's not good. And by having somebody alongside of us to disciple us, it helps shave off those pieces that should not be a part of our life. That's why it's important to have somebody in it. And you can be discipled by many different people. In some ways, I'm discipled by Didi because she sees something in me and points it out. I mean, I like it. And I may throw a fit from time to time, but then I know that I got to go fix that and make it better. In many ways, I'm being discipled by Scott. Not that he has a greater faith, but he is at a level 
in the fact of leadership of this church that I submit to his authority. And he also has more years of experience concerning a church than I do because I know how to do be a, a chaplain. So to be a pastor changes that a bit. And I discipled from that aspect. Somebody can be discipling you and you, they, they never know it because maybe they're online and it's somebody that is strong in the faith and you listening to them helps you grow and become stronger in your faith. But it's important that we're in an active spot in that. Is your life becoming a lifestyle after Christ? And to come alongside somebody grows you, but it helps them grow. And you may disciple them for a lifetime or it may be for a period of time. And they go to somebody else. That's not a reflection of your faith. That's just what they, where they're at and what they need at that time. I think one of the questions we should say, should ask ourselves at times is who are we a disciple of? Who are we a disciple of? I think of the passage of Scripture with a blind man who was given sight and he was all excited and he was telling the Pharisees about this thing and how he has sight and they said, well, we don't know who he is, but you're obviously a disciple of him. And they say, we're a disciple of Moses. I found that a little odd and I thought about that and I let it run through my mind a bit and, and the thought that came to my mind is they didn't even say they were a disciple of God. They said they were a disciple of a man. Now, yes, they understood that man got the things from God, but sometimes we end up being a disciple of a person and we put our faith in that person and not being a disciple of God. I think of people like David Koresh, for those who know who I'm talking about, from who put the wacko in Waco. Those people were a disciple of David Koresh, not a disciple of Christ. Why do we not want to be a disciple of a human? What happens there? They're not perfect. They'll fail you. We put our faith into a person, they could mislead you too. Now they disciple you to be a greater disciple of Christ though this is a problem in the early church many of you know this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 it says when you are jealous and quarrel among yourselves aren't you influenced by your corrupt nature and living by human standards when you say, some of you say, I follow Paul, and others say, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like sinful humans? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? They are servants who helped you come to faith. Each did what the Lord gave him to do. I planted, 
Apollos watered and God made it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is important because only God makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have the same goal, and each will receive a reward from his own work. We are God's co-workers. You are God's field. They're essentially saying, I'm a disciple of Paul. I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of this person and that person. We got to keep our focus on who we actually are following. A lot of times when I've seen people fall away from, from their faith, they say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, the church has this or this, that, or somebody has hurt me in the church. And there's a meme out there that says, if an individual has caused you to lose your faith, your faith was in a person, not in God. So when we're looking at discipleship, not only is it about the fact of growing and staying deeper and having that accountability and being trained and brought up, but it is also about remembering who we are following. An individual who's coming alongside us to guide, direct, and help us, but that individual is not who we're following. Our sight always has to be on Jesus. He is the ultimate example. He is the ultimate one that shows us. And that is important because if somebody is discipling you and they're a little bit off base, you have to have the ability and be encouraged to say, mm, I'm not sure about that. Can we go check with somebody on this? And if they're unwilling, then you need to go and, and double check on it with somebody else. Exactly. And, and, and God will send me in someone else to disciple me. Exactly. Or let me find them. Like, let me go hunt them down. No, that, that's a, a very true point. It, it really is. It does na not negate everything before. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, is the fact that uh, I have a bunch of Ron Bell's DVDs prior to him going off the, the tracks. Um, and they're great. They're solid stuff. And I like to use them from time to time. But at this point, I have to caveat that this is prior to his going off the tracks and going down a wrong path where he was denying that there was a heaven and denying a whole lot of other things. Does not negate the usefulness of those DVDs because they got some solid stuff in it. But now I have to make sure that people don't go track him at this point 
because I've used that piece. Up to that point, his stuff was solid. It's good. It does not negate all the people that, that learned under him. But we've got to be ready to switch when somebody else doesn't. Yes, sir. And I will tell you, there's things that I've had to look at my own life and, and make some adjustments, even recently, because when I was in uniform, not only did I have a rank that said I had, should act a certain way, but I had a cross on my uniform that said who I was that held me accountable to ensure that I projected Christ. I take those things off. Out in the public, there's nothing on me that says I'm a Christian or that I'm a pit minister and so I must make sure that I'm projecting that right stuff. No, it's not. Exactly. It does. And, it, and that's my point is it was easier <laughs> it was easier to hold myself accountable but now that I have to to take and sure that I'm holding myself accountable that I'm projecting Christ as often as as I can, because there's nothing that holds me accountable by what I wear. And that's an, that's an important piece of being both a disciple and discipling, is that you are walking in that path. And that's why also when you're looking at discipleship, to be discipled and have that somebody alongside of you is that piece that has that check and balance that makes sure that you're when you're discipling somebody else, you're not going off the tracks. Because it's often that individual who is only in themselves that we see them sliding off tracks. Because there's nothing to keep them going in the right direction. And that's why staying in the Word and being discipled while you're discipling is an important piece. Now, there are some negative stuff out there. I've talked to individuals who were part of organizations that make discipleship negative because what they're making it is about religion, not about relationship. And we have to be cautious in what we're doing that, that we're not setting up a bunch of rules when we look at what the Pharisees and Sadducees did, 
when they were discipling others, using the term of teaching and leading and, and, and instructing, they started taking what God had put and said, you got to add these rules to, to this to make it even that much more. You. And that's what many churches, when they're calling it discipleship, all they're doing is putting some legalities. You have to do X, Y, Z to do it. And that's hurt some people. It has caused some people to even take and cringe at the term disciple because it has become such a negative anchor for them. And so we have to take and ensure that we're staying in our relationship with Christ so that 